You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hey, everybody. This is Richard Deitch, and welcome to the Sports Media Podcast. My producer is Patrick Antonetti. Two guests this week, uh, two interesting conversations. First up, Chad Finn, the sports media writer and columnist for the Boston Globe. And we go through a number of sports media topics, including the Olympics, uh, how many people we think will watch or will not watch, the ESPN's hiring of uh, Peyton Manning and Eli Manning to do a megacast, um, which was certainly an interesting move by them. Talk a little bit about the NHL schedule and how we think uh, ESPN and Turner did, and a couple of other news and notes when it comes to sports media. So if you're a sports media nerd, I think you'll enjoy that. He is followed by Melanie Newman, who is a play-by-play voice for the Baltimore Orioles on the Masson Network, M-A-S-N. And you may have heard, she was the play-by-play person for the all-female announcing crew that called the Rays-Orioles game on July 20th along with uh, analyst Sarah Langs and reporter Alana Rizzo and pregame and postgame hosts Lauren Gardner and Heidi Watney. And Melanie discusses how she came up in the business and how she started calling play-by-play, where she thinks the, uh, the business is in terms of hiring women to be play-by-play voices in baseball. It's one of the, sort of the glass ceilings that remain the NBA um, you hear a women's voice today in the NBA, you don't blink. Uh, in baseball, the, that representation still needs to be added, and Melanie Newman is at the forefront of that. And then just sort of the experience uh, that she had calling a national game. We also get into a little bit of the O's and uh, the J's because I live in Toronto. She obviously um, works for the Orioles, so we are in cities where we are looking up at the Red Sox Rays and Yankees. So Chad Finn to start, Melanie Newman to follow, coming up on the Sports Media Podcast. All right, as I said at the top, Chad Finn, the sports media writer for the Boston Globe and uh, general columnist, I would call him as well, joins me. He's been on this podcast many times. Chad, good to catch up with you. How are you? Good. I would call him that too. Um, all right. Thank you. Yeah. So, all right, let's, we got a lot to cover quickly. Let's start with the Olympics. Um, then we'll do the Manning megacast, Chad. I know how yes. excited you are about that. I am. So I've written a lot about the, uh, the Olympics, uh, in the last couple of days. I just did a long preview for the athletic and my, and maybe this is a total, maybe, maybe even admitting my hypocrisy is hypocritical in itself. But like what I sort of led the piece with Chad was that like, I hate the IOC. <laughs> I, I loathe them, but I love the Olympics. And I realized that these are existing purely for commercial financial reasons and no other reason at all. None. The reality is there is a state of emergency in Japan. You should not be holding a global competition in this. I, I'm not saying all sports should be canceled because I don't believe that to be the case at all. But But this is different. It's a global competition with people all over the world coming in to a country with a COVID issue. So the reality is this is just a made-for-TV event. That said, I think given both what both of us do, you know, you do want to provide for viewers, like, what's NBC's plans, what's their philosophy, 
how can you watch it? So let me just start with you sort of very overall, like wh- what is your general sort of general view of the, the Olympics, uh, happening, let's say. Um, well, the view I've had from readers, Rich, is apathy. Uh, I, I, I don't know if that comes um, that that I, I, I can't think back to four years ago or two years ago or, you know, four years ago for the last summer games. And or I guess it's five now. Right. And, and what the mood was going into that in terms of just anticipating the uh, competition and the, the two and a half weeks of uh, uh, Simone Biles and. Uh, women's basketball and and uh, getting reacquainted with the great athletes, learning about new ones. And, you know, sometimes that builds up and sometimes there are new stars that uh, emerge and uh, maybe something you weren't that interested in the beginning, uh, interested in at the beginning of the Olympics ends up being something you really enjoyed. And um, I, I suppose that could be the case this time, but uh, I, I'm not feeling it just from my personal perspective and from what I've heard from readers where uh, last week, Friday, I wrote about, uh, talked to Molly, you know, the, Molly Salman did the conference call with all of us and uh, the producer of the Olympics and talking about laying out their, their plans were for audio and uh, uh, essentially making sure it wasn't going to sound like the NBA bubble. <laughs> and when I, I, I wrote that story and posted it, the reaction I got to it was, who cares? There's a pandemic. They're 20% vaccinated over there. They shouldn't be doing this. And um, it was probably, I would say, 75 to 80% in that range. And I think that's going to be reflected uh, a couple of weeks from now when this is wrapping up. It's going to be reflected in the ratings. It's going to be reflected in the viewership. And it's probably going to be reflected in the, you know, the website clicks and the, 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 the places that sent a lot of reporters over there might have some regret about that. That's, you know, that's interesting you say that because um, I got asked by uh, Douglas Pucci, who works for a number of places. Including yeah, me Program too. Insider. I think you did yeah. too, right? Yeah. So he asked, he asked both of us, um, you know, make a prediction for the overall viewership of the Olympics. And when it comes to like these kind of questions, like I generally have a feel, like I'm not saying I'm always right, but I have a real feel as to how I think it's going to play and what like my viewership guess would be. Yeah. Chad, on this one, I had no idea. Like, I think I guessed 20 million, but honestly, it was, it was a guess based on nothing because I could see this going super low, like you said, apathy or whatever, or I could see people like for whatever reason, like getting excited about like some new Americans emerging and it's the summer, so there's not a ton to watch on TV, even though a lot of, uh, you know, even though the hot levels, the, the, the homes in use for television is super low. So I don't have a good feel for it other than, and this is where I totally agree with you, in my sort of Olympic viewership lifetime, as well as my covering the Olympics, and I covered seven for Sports Illustrated, I have never seen less enthusiasm for a buildup of the Olympics than this one, at least anecdotally. Yeah. So in that sense, I'm with you. Like, um, I don't know how the athletic clicks are going to be, although I guess we're judged on subs, not clicks anyway. Uh, and please subscribe. Um, I don't know what, uh, you know, it's going to be for the New York Times and the Associated Press and some of these other places that send a ton of people. But um, I don't know. Do you, th- like, do you think it's, po- like, I, my general instinct is you're right, but do you think it's possible if, let's say, like, the Americans start rolling in the pool and, you know, one of these like Katie Ledecky types emerge uh, as the next kind of Phelps. And then Simone Biles rolls off like, you know, four individual gold medals. Like, do you yeah. think they could get some momentum or do you think people are just like, 
I mean, I guess I'll watch a little bit of it, but man, this is just too weird for me to see like these Olympics when there's nobody in the crowd. There's just no atmosphere. Yeah, I mean, I mentioned the NBA bubble and uh, Brad Stevens is, runs the Celtics. He was a coach for eight years. Um, he's, he said time and time again this past season that the NBA bubble was the highest level of basketball he's ever seen. Uh, television viewers didn't see it that way because even if the – uh, you know, the players were totally focused on basketball because they're basically trapped in Orlando. <laughs> um, and, and that reflected in the, how they performed on the court. Uh, it wasn't an enticing television uh, product at all. You had uh, the play-by-play guys calling stuff remotely, no fans there, uh, squeak of the sneakers, ambient noise was never quite right. And um, when you're taking, you're looking at that from the NBA, which is a tremendous spectator sport, and you're carrying that over to the Olympics, which is uh, relies so much on um, uh, sort of heart and and uh, uh, the the you know the background of uh, you know storylines and that sort of thing, and uh, more about emotion than actual competition a, a lot of the time. Uh, the effect of, of uh, not having crowds in the, the building, just watching the opening ceremonies this morning, um, it, it's always going to be noticeable and it's always going to have a sort of a cloud over whatever you're watching. I think, Rich, that um, the sports that we expect to do well will do well. Uh, gymnastics will be huge. Smell Biles is as charismatic an athlete as there is in the world right now. Um, maybe some of the basketball will do pretty well. Swimming will do well, but uh, the, the secondary sports and ancillary sports that may get significant time, uh, you know, in prime time or some of their uh, uh, other branch networks. Uh, I just can't see uh, th- those sort of things getting much of an audience. And I was looking actually at uh, Doug Pucci's story there for Programming Insider. You had it at 20.5 million. When I submitted mine, I thought I was going to be low because I think uh, – the last Summer Olympics was maybe it was over 25 and I said um, maybe 25.5 million viewer, average viewership, something like that. And I figured, all right, it's going to be lesser, even though these things typically climb. It's going to be lesser this time around. And I went at 24, uh, two, and then almost everybody. I, I, I thought it was lower, uh, but I, I think I really misread it because I'm skeptical about this, but everybody else, including you, are much more skeptical. Maury Brown has it at 16 million, which would be a collapse. It could happen. I mean, it's again, like I'm saying, I don't know, but if that happens, that's, I mean, in our disaster for NBC. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, disaster, disaster. Let me ask you this before we move on to uh, Manning Megacast. My faith in NBC sort of talking about any protests or, um, or COVID and stuff like that in terms of like during the competition, it's, it's essentially nil. Like I, I think they're going to, they'll get, they'll pro forma it if they have to and mention it. Um, but I think they're going to stay away from it. The real question is this, Chad, when it comes to sort of NBC news, who is on the ground and you know, the Lester Holtz and that staff of the world, they're there. Do you, do you, do you think we as sports consumers, do we get that coverage infused within the larger Olympic coverage? Or do you think they're really going to segment it where it's like, okay, here's the Olympics, here's your competition. And if you want whatever is going on outside of the competition, you know, tune into NBC News. 6.30, 6, yeah. 6.30 yeah. p.m. ET. So uh, 
you know, so so we can say, hey, we're doing our due diligence as news gatherers, but you know, you don't want any of that stuff to, um, to you know, smell up your shiny, happy, made-for-TV miniseries here. Yeah, I think they push it to the background until they can't anymore. And the background being the six thirty national news. Um, if if there's a uh, massive outbreak of COVID there that forces them to actually uh, shut things down, not maybe maybe not the entire Olympics, but uh, this event, that event. You know, I know people um, were frustrated this morning that the Czech Republic team was was uh, in, mixing up with other. Uh, delegations uh, at the opening ceremonies because they've had uh, a couple of positive tests since they, just since they've gotten there. Uh, things like this could multiply quickly. And if that happens and uh, actual primetime significant events are threatened, then the NBC News' uh, news team uh, is going to be busy. But uh, at the very beginning of this, if nothing is affected, um, I would say the most we could probably expect in terms of reporting on the COVID surrounding the protesters, uh, which you could hear at the stadium apparently this morning outside, um, the probably the most you get is maybe a feature at the, you know, uh, for the NBC broadcast later in the night about what's going on just to kind of cover their news covering bases, but really nothing emphasized beyond that. Yeah, I, well, it'll be interesting. And again, I, I'm the I wrote it in my Olympic preview. I'm the first to say it. I I always feel like a hypocrite when it comes to the Olympics. I love the actual competition. It was my dream. It was essentially trust me. My dream was not to cover Norby Williamson and ESPN. <laughs> my dream was to to cover the Olympic Games, which I was fortunate enough to do. So I love the Olympics, but I hate the IOC. I hate all the sort of the the finances around it. So I always feel like a hypocrite, even sort of covering it and writing about it. Um, and so I'm just being honest with listeners, but you know, I'm, you know, I'm not there. Chad's not there, but both of us will certainly write about the television aspect of it for sure. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too, with the name your price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right, let's move on to the megacast here. So this is interesting to me, Chad. You know, I think a lot of people... um, I think a lot of like uh, just sort of sports viewers and sports fans don't realize that the numbers for these alternative broadcasts are really, really low. Like yeah. 90% of the people watching something are going to watch the primary broadcast. And I think that will be the case for Monday Night Football too. But I like when the ESPNs of the world, it's certainly for the most part, it is ESPN. There are others who have sort of done some of this mega cast stuff, but really ESPN's the leader. I like when they offer you alternative broadcasts because to me, that is incredibly viewer friendly. It gives me choices. That's what I want. So I think this Manning hiring is a great move just on sort of on face, regardless of how good or not good Peyton and Eli Manning are. Um, you know, I have no idea what they paid him, but I'm sure they did not come cheap. I think it will be an interesting alternative for those who want to check out a more conversational kind of broadcast to the traditional broadcast. My sense is that at times it will be pretty good. And I don't think there's a downside other than one thing. The only downside I could see is internally. And do Steve Levy, Lewis Riddick, Brian Greasy, like, do they look at this move as, 
holy shit, like, are you grooming our replacements? And I don't know the answer to that. I don't think they're grooming them for this year, but I don't think anybody can say what the future holds if Peyton Manning actually decides, I really like this. Yeah, I mean, the Manning thing is hung over every play-by-play and analyst job other than Tony Romo's in the NFL for, what, five years now, what, however long it's been since he retired. Um, I give Peyton credit. I guess Eli is uh, involved in this too, but um, probably the secondary character in terms of who ESPN actually wants on the air. The, 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 the dream has been Peyton since he was five years into his NFL career, and you realize that this is a guy who's legitimately funny, a great pitch man, good Saturday Night Live host, and probably would be a very good uh, NFL broadcaster. But Peyton's manipulated this into being exactly what he wants it to be. I mean, this is this deal is in conjunction with his product, production company, so he's making a lot of money on that end. Um, what are they doing, 30 games in three years? So they're kind of going to yeah. be able to pick and choose what they want. Now, I got to tell you, Rich, um, as soon as I heard about this, I looked at the schedule and I, I thought about, uh, all right, what games are going to be interesting with them? You got week 11, Giants, Buccaneers, Tom Brady, Eli talking about them. That's um, the game. Yeah, there are going to be things where you're going to want to hear what they have to say. They got to do that game. Yeah. They, I, I know they're, I know we saw some run. We saw some people write, oh, Eli is not going to want to do the Giants. Peyton's going to want to stay away from Brady. No way. Do there, you is know. No way yeah. there is no way that they didn't sign that deal without at least a verbal agreement on they're going to do that game. Yeah, that's the one you circle five times on the calendar right away. Uh, Payton won't stay away from Brady either. I mean, I agree. Uh, yeah, those two have a good relationship and they can uh, bust each other's balls, for lack of a better word. It, it, Payton knows anything he says isn't going to offend Brady and, and uh, uh, Payton isn't going to have to hedge what he says or anything like that. So um, that makes a lot of sense. And uh, yeah, I, I, my first thought, too, was the same thing that you said that uh, I if I'm Levy and Riddick and, and Greasy, I'm thinking, come on, man, you know, we're, we're still trying to kind of find our footing here. We're happy to be back for the season. Right. And uh, you hire the, probably the NFL retired NFL player with the highest Q rating out of anybody to, uh, to tr- possibly take some viewership away. And uh, I think it will a little bit. What do you think, um, you know, like, what, what they've said, and from what I understand that the, the role is going to be a host, it's not going to be a traditional play by play broadcaster. It's sort of going to be a facilitator, to like get into conversations with Eli and Peyton. Um, so, you know what, that, that's a pretty interesting job in theory for someone who's at ESPN. And I wonder, do you think they go with a, like a tra- person with traditional play by play background, like, you know, whatever, like a Jason Benetti type. It won't be him obviously, but you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Or would you go with like an analyst, like a, uh, you know, Ryan Clark or, uh, Damian Woody, you know, I'm just naming yeah. ESPN. I was like, cause that's, uh, that's pretty interesting. Like that's, it's a, it's a, that's an interest. However, they, however they staff that I think is a major, major, uh, will go a long way in terms of whether that is, uh, watchable and entertaining or not, because I, I, you do need someone to sort of very smoothly set up the Manning brothers. They're not going to be able to do it on their own. Rachel Nichols is free. Uh, would have been, <laughs> yeah, I don't. Uh, I don't see that happening, Chad. <laughs> would have been a good fit for Maria Taylor. Uh, no, uh, yeah, it, it's it's probably be a downgrade for Maria, but yeah, I understand what you're saying. Yeah, <laughs> a little step down. Uh, you could. Uh, I mean, you could go in a lot of different directions with. It. I can't think of a guy uh, who's one of their analysts who has a clear relationship with Peyton or Eli. Guys. I mean, Mor- Chris Mortensen is is the longtime Manning. Yeah, buddy, but but. Uh, 
you know, so if you ever know how manic stories sort of get broken by ESPN. Yeah. Um, but it's um, all New Orleans ties. <laughs> yeah. But um but it won't be Chris. Yeah, I, I I'm just saying, like if I'm an NF like if I'm an NFL, if I'm an ESPN NFL staffer who doesn't really have a high profile or would like a higher profile than what I have now, I, I actually think that would be a pretty good move to yeah. go in there because you know the bosses are gonna be watching that pretty 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 hardcore so i'm just i'm again from everything i understand they haven't come close to deciding who it's going to be but i'm interested in that position katie nolan could do it or somebody like that too with a sense of humor but uh, you think they would want to go uh uh comedy yeah like more entertainment than hardcore nfl i think payton's going to be a uh just a complete wise ass on that yeah Um, i agree so i'm saying like do you i don't know if you want i don't know if you want someone to upstage Peyton when it comes to comedy. You know what yeah. I mean? I heard Nance a while, a couple of years ago, was head of ESPN. Did that ever work out? He would have, Nance would have loved that. Nance <laughs> and Peyton. Oh, God, yeah. I mean, if Nance could have Peyton and Robert Kraft in a, in a, in a booth, I mean, what, what a dream that would be. Oh, boy, yeah. That's the Phil. owner. <laughs> and Mickelson. All right, let's get to the NHL, Jack. <laughs> You're in a city where the NHL is beloved. Taylor, by the way, Taylor Hall, has that happened yet? You guys signed him yet? Uh, sounds fait accompli, or however right? you say that. Yeah. yeah. If, uh, As like, you know, I'm in a city, Toronto, where we, we, there's a lot of Taylor Hall talk before the uh, uh, playoffs in terms of additions, and uh, there was talk that he might come here. Bruins turned out to make a great move on that. All right. You saw the NHL um, schedule. You saw what Turner and ESPN are opening with. We could do this very quick. I, I really like both openers, and particularly I like ESPN. The one thing I was thinking when I was sort of thinking to myself, okay, if you're ESPN, what do you want to start with when you de- debut your hockey coverage? And to me, it was like, I want the Kraken. I want that first yes. game yeah. because people are just going to be curious. Even if you don't think the team is great, like, wh- you know, what's the jersey look like? Like, you know, who are these guys? So I think ESPN, I think they got the Lightning Penguins and then the Kraken yep. Golden Knights. To me, yeah, that's, that's great. Right. Perfect. That's what I would want. How'd you see it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, the Lightning are... are- it probably, uh, I, I mean, I don't know if you call them a dynasty at this point, but back to back. It might the, be. In, the, in the salary cap here, two cups are pretty amazing. They're, stack, yeah, they're stacked as any team in pro sports for their given sport. But uh, I don't know if a Tampa Bay uh, hockey team resonates nationwide like like one as uh, successful as they are should. Uh, Pittsburgh, on the other hand, doesn't really win much <laughs> of anything. Uh, of great magnitude, but they're still a compelling, uh, 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 high-profile, uh, put them on primetime team because of Sidney Crosby and uh, uh, sort of their uh, their their history going back to even Lemieux and Yager, they're they're a cornerstone franchise for the league. Uh, but the the Kraken are the one that everybody's going to want to see, and matching them up with the last expansion team that was incredibly successful right out of the gate. That's that's really smart scheduling, really smart planning, and. Uh, uh, if they have any kind of game production in Seattle, like they do in Las Vegas, uh, this team's going to be a pretty huge hit right away. No matter, matter whether they're successful on the ice or off, that uh, that's that that that's really a, a wise way all around for ESPN to do this. Uh, yeah, I'm with you. Can't get enough cracking games, in my opinion, this year. I just think they're the um, great nickname, man. That's just great. great. But great better than the Guardians. I think well, we'll get to that. I think the city, uh, I think the city's going to embrace hockey. I think that's a great sports town. I think the, I think the Kraken will be, uh, can't miss television at least early, and um, and then you know we'll see how good they are. I mean, nobody's really. I feel like it's almost impossible to duplicate what Vegas did. It just seems like kind of a, you know, an unbelievable 
sort of once in a generation kind of thing, but we'll see. But yeah, I, I think if you're ESPN and you're Turner, I think you got to be pretty happy with what you got. Turner got some pretty good, uh, I think they got the Caps, the Rangers, the Avalanche, and they got another big Chicago. So three, three of those teams are, are good national hockey teams and Avalanche are a great team. Uh, again, hockey is a regional sport, but you know when you, when you're starting your your business here, you do want to try to get as national games as you can. So I think they did good. All right, the Guardians. This happened actually as we're taping this this morning, Chad. The 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 formerly Cleveland Indians have changed their name to the Cleveland Guardians. Um, rather than debate, uh, you know, name changes and the politics of this. Uh, you know, obviously I'm for it. I mean, like, you know, it's been a long time coming. I'm always of this belief. Tell me how you feel about this. Like, on a this is what I always thought with Washington as well. On on a simple financial kind of level, right? And these guys, for the most part, owners only care about money. Let's be honest. Billionaire, you know, your reason you're a billionaire. When you make a name change like this, okay, once you sort of stop getting past all the people who are screaming about whatever, you know. How could you? How could you? <laughs> America's, the, you know, another example of America falling to the coastal elites, whatever the bullshit uh, stuff's coming on. It is such a smart financial move. Do you realize, Chad, for all these, all these name changes, how much merch and other things they sell? When they, when they get a new logo and a new team name. So if I'm just some dude in New York who likes uh, baseball and likes sort of the culture of baseball, like I want a Guardians jersey now because like it's cool, it's hip, it's fresh. I want to wear that like, you know, on the street or with my friends. So these moves are always smart in the end in terms of rebranding and the financials. Um, so first and foremost, I think it's smart for that. Second of all, I, I mean, it's just a long time coming. I'm glad to see it. and. You know, all these sort of mini controversies like usually get tossed into the toilet like 12 hours later. Two weeks from now, I don't think anybody's going to care that they're the Guardians. How do you see this one? Yeah, the uh, I, I think people thought they were going to go with the nickname the Spiders, uh, which they, they have some history with. But uh, I just looked it up here. They, the last Spiders team in 1899 was 20 and 134. So they probably don't want to associate with a 130 winning percentage the last time uh, they had that name. But uh, the Guardians, Guardians apparently has some pretty strong local tie. I don't think national people are immediately reacting to it, uh, knew what that was, but it's uh, the guardians of traffic outside the ballpark on the Hope Memorial Bridge. I have no idea what that means, but apparently it means a lot to Clevelanders. So the logo is kind of tacky, I think, but uh, the, the nickname seems to be one that fits the city. And that's, uh, that's what you the best you can ask for these days. All right, Chad, here's the thing. Like when we get a little closer to college football, uh, I definitely want to bring you back on because I am fascinated by how much the ESPNs and the Foxes and the CBSs or whatever are going to talk about uh, name and likeness and money like coming into um, the sport. Because it's going to be, it's just, fa first of all, that you want to talk about sort of overdue. The NCAA is a cartel. So finally they had it handed to them, which is great. But, um, but I am fascinated by that. Like how much, because, you know, money has always been sort of verboten, right? When it comes to student athletes, you don't talk about it on a game broadcast. But how are you going to be able to avoid if, like, the starting quarterback of Alabama is, like, making close to a million dollars in some kind of deal? So I'm told you got to come back when it gets a little closer to, to college football season because I am fascinated by how the networks are going to handle that. My only hope, Rich, is that they list what they have for NILs, uh, like on a Chiron underneath their name and, and statistics. Uh, they, you, you can see what they're endorsing. Uh, maybe, uh, 
maybe maybe uh, they will acknowledge it in some sort of way, but probably not. By the way, all those broadcasters should have been sort of waving the flag on this. I mean, do you have you ever met a high profile broadcaster, Chad, who hasn't tried to endorse something for any of these networks? <laughs> Give me a by, Dick Vital. I mean, if I if I invited that guy over, he would endorse my lamp here if I if I paid him enough money. Probably wouldn't even be that much. So all of those. Yeah, I know because he's already got some cash. All of those people should have been uh, for it. I like Vital. He's a, like I, I like sort of sparring with him, um, and I appreciate what he's certainly done for cancer. But it it can it will never not be funny to me when Vital talks about how oh my god if you know with all these transfers like all college basketball is in chaos. It's ruining the whole system that players are allowed to move on their own. It's so great. It's so institutionalized, uh, and I love seeing like all this stuff blow up. It's fantastic. And then he's in 15 Geico ads uh, Then the next commercial break. Like, oh my God, the transfer system. I mean, will college, Chad, will, will college basketball exist with the transfer system now? I mean, do you think we'll have a sport this year? I mean, is it possible? Nah, it barely exists now. All right, anything else, Chad, you want to add? You gonna, um, are you going to cover that? Are you going to cover that Brady Bucks game? Try to t- ask probably Red, will, yeah. We're all geared on that one. We got week four up here with uh, Bart Brady coming back. So that's all sports radio is up here. Now, I wanted to give a shout out to Jim Murphy, who, uh, in memoriam, uh, a producer at um, Channel 4 WBZ up here, passed away unexpectedly this week. He's one of those behind the scenes guys is at every game. You see him there and you're like, who's that guy? He's always working, but, uh, you know, not a front facing talent and, and was happy to be. I don't think even at Twitter. Just kind of happy to be in the background, but a, a widely respected guy here in Boston, and uh, a lot of people are heartbroken. Yeah, but prayers, prayers to his family. Um, thank you for acknowledging him. Our right, Chad Finn is the um, sports media writer and columnist for the Boston Globe. He's been on this podcast many times. He'll be on there again. Chad, thank you very much. If anything, you know, happens with the Olympics that uh, we need to roundtable, I will uh, bring you back. I am very, well, you know. And I'll be talking to you, as they say, offline or in real life, IRL, as the kids would say, um, about whatever the viewership is. Because, like, we'll get a real sense, trust me, by the end of this weekend, like, you know, who, who's sort of, if our instincts are right or if we were way off. But, but, but. I think yours were more right than yeah, mine, we'll and it's going to be bad. We'll see. Yeah, we will. All right, Chad Finn, thank you. All right, pal. Take care. Before history is written. It's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. All right, as I said at the top, Melanie Newman is a broadcaster for the Baltimore Orioles, and they are on MASN, Masson, for uh, you know those in the D.C., Maryland area. And you may have heard her name because she was the play-by-play voice for the first time in MLB history that featured an all-female announcing crew calling a game. That happened on July 20th with the Rays and the Orioles, and I'm pleased to be joined by... Melanie Newman. Melanie, how are you? We're doing good. Uh, getting ready for another series. You know, baseball just keeps rolling. <laughs> I hear you. I live in Toronto, so I appreciate when we see the Orioles because the, the Blue Jays can use any wins that they can. So oh, thank you. clever. I clever. I know. Whatever. It all changes. Trust me. Two years <laughs> from now, the, the Orioles will be rolling the Blue Jays. Um, all right. So before I get to the, you know, obviously sort of the newsworthy assignment here, 
Um, I, you know, I know you've been profiled before, but for the purposes of my listeners, um, when did you start calling games? And I'm not necessarily talking about when did you start in broadcasting, but you know, you are, as you know, you are very unique as a woman who is a play-by-play broadcaster. One of the, you know, sort of remaining glass ceilings in sports broadcasting are seeing women doing play-by-play in baseball. Um, long overdue. There's a lot of sociological reasons for that, including men not hiring women over the last 30 years for it. But to to, to give uh, the listeners of this podcast a little bit of your background, what, when did that start? When did when did you sort of decide that I want to do play by play as opposed to something else in broadcasting? Oh man, well, I mean, I I don't really ever think I had that definitive moment. If I'm being honest, of setting forth and saying this is what I want to do. Um, I, I've had so many different roles when it comes to the sport of baseball it really started when I was a kid growing up in Atlanta, we had the East Cobb complex, um, not too far from our house. And they had overflow games at, um, my high school, Etowah. And then of course our, our rival Woodstock, which was less than a mile away from us. People remember that because that was Nick Markakis, uh, launch point. But, um, you know, it, I did everything. We, we traveled with the team. We were a group of four who kept the book. We did all the videography for them. And um, our high school was really inclusive on that front. And then when East Cobb started having overflow games that were closer to our house, I mean, if, if the field got flooded, I was out there with a bucket helping everybody trying to get the water off the field. Um, they let me go up in the booth for a little bit and do some public address announcing and um, I just wanted to be around the game. You know, I, I didn't grow up being athletic in the slightest. Everybody thinks I played softball and I've, I've never even attempted it in my life. Um, but I knew I loved the sport and that I wanted to be around it. And I was morbidly shy as a kid. So I started with photography and with writing. I was an editor for our yearbook. Um, I was out every day trying to photograph all of our different sports, but, um, I got into college at Troy and I left Kennesaw state and really discovered a chance to be myself. You know, I was away from home and you get that reinvention moment as a kid that you're not really being defined anymore by what pretty much everybody puts you in from the time you're little before you can control who it is that you do want to be. And I had an advisor, Stephen Padgett, who said, you know, I I know you're going into our print major, but I think I want to switch you into our broadcast major. And I kind of thought he was a little crazy for it, but you know, he knows more than I do. So I trusted him and and we took it from there to see where it could go. But um, that's when I started getting involved with our sports information department. And it was initially calling our women's division one volleyball program games and then moved into occasionally calling if we had a live television broadcast of a baseball game. Um, we got to jump on that because, of course, Barry McKnight has been the radio voice for Troy University for years and he's just wonderful. Um, but it was, it was anything I could do. And that led to the Atlantic sun conference, the big South conference doing sideline roles for them. Uh, another role I never thought that I would have. Um, and it wasn't until I quit a collegiate team in Kilgore, Texas in the middle of 2014, I was over a year removed from graduation at that point. I thought I had a dead end and I ended up in mobile Alabama with the Bay bears Um, And a good friend of mine, Justin Baker, brought me on. They needed a new on-field host. But he had me do more than that. He had me coming in to do the pregame interviews with players that they would put out on radio. And it got to the point where I would finish my hosting responsibilities in the seventh inning. He'd have me come up in the booth to to learn what it was all about, really 
for the first time because you can call it in college all you want, but it's just, it's a different atmosphere um, when you make the jump like that. And so I started paying out of pocket to, to go on the road and I was still balancing all the other responsibilities that mobile wanted from me. Um, but you know, it, it gave me the chance to be there for a full pregame and one through nine and really, really get into a flow and start learning. And, and he was my encourager and my supporter and my protector from day one. And I think he saw that in me before I did. And so as, as weird as it is, I, I kind of fell into the play-by-play end of things, but I started realizing how I could balance play-by-play and sidelines and I could still bring in the action and have that stimulus of also telling stories and, and bringing the human element out of the game. And I feel really fortunate that for everyone who's told me that at some point I would have to pick between the two, Baltimore offered me both. You, um, I thank you for that. Thank you for the, um, uh, sort of getting us to the, the Orioles assignment. One of the things when, um, when I knew you were coming on today that I wanted to talk to you about was, you know, I've had a lot of on this podcast over the years, um, a lot of women broadcasters, um, and many who are in the NBA. And one of the things that I think has become uh, very commonplace in the NBA now is if you turn on a game and you hear Sarah Kustak or Doris Burke or Kara Lawson before she went to Duke or Stephanie Reddy or, you know, uh, sort of I, I can go down the list of anybody who in the NBA who has a, you know, an analyst or play by play job as opposed to a sideline job. The NBA fan like doesn't blink anymore. Like hearing a woman's voice is honestly no different than hearing whoever is, do, you know, the dude who's calling the game for your local team. That's not the case yet in baseball. You know, Jessica Mendoza was a trailblazer for ESPN. Susan Waldman, obviously, was the true trailblazer as the uh, Yankees radio analyst. And obviously, um, prior to that, being a reporter for WFAN. I'm wondering, from your purposes, um, where do you, even if it's anecdotally, Melanie, do, do you think baseball fans still... Um, would have an issue writ large with a woman calling a game? Or do you think they would be more like the NBA? And then it's a question really of just people doing who are doing the hiring, bringing more women's voices into the booth. Do you know what I'm sort of getting at? Because it feels like, and maybe the NFL is like this too, that, that baseball f- um, is behind when, when, it, when, it, when it comes to where the NBA is. And that's kind of... I don't know, given sort of what baseball represents and given how long the history of the game is, it's a little ridiculous that that's where we still are in 2021. I mean, you hear time and time again that it's it's the old boys club and, and that it's their sport. And someone asked me this the other day, why this hadn't been something that I thought I would do growing up. I mean, I jumped from being a veterinarian to, okay, I'm going to be a teacher. And Um, You kind of step back for a moment and you realize I had just simply never thought about doing something like this because I didn't really have anybody to look to that was already doing it. Um, You know, again, just being in Atlanta, we were surrounded by the Braves and SEC football. And of course, we were all over the Olympics in 96. Um, But I, I didn't really, I didn't know Susan Waldman because, you know, we were so far removed and it's the Braves heyday and, and no one really talked about the Yankees and, um, you just, you don't have that example of, of normalcy that just kind of puts that in the back of your mind by, by women who keep showing up. Because I still remember too, when they suggested I switch to broadcasting, 
the only thing I could think of is, well, they, the only option there is sideline reporting. And that was just an example of, you know, representation because that was all that my brain had really seen at that point. Um, and you do see it from the fans from time to time. I've gotten a couple emails from people and, and I know that they're kind hearted. I've just still never figured out what to say Then they'll, they'll recognize it and say, you know, as an older man, I wasn't really sure when I saw that the Orioles had hired a female to call the games, but I have to say, you know, I, I gave it a chance and I listened and how delightfully surprised I have been that you've completely changed my mind about the situation. And, um, you know, you just, you need that chance to really step forward and make that change. And, and to what you were saying, it is up to the men who are making these hiring decisions to take that initiative to bring more women into the game. But I think we just needed to be able to see examples of it for ourselves that we could be here in the first place. Because when I got into the minors in 2014, you know, I didn't, I didn't even know Kirsten Carbot was also in league. I didn't know I had another female ally um, who understood what I was going through until it was sad. It took four years for the stories to come out that there were in fact women in minor league baseball. And Kirsten and I were able to kind of connect with each other at spring training on our own. Um, and so we just, you just need louder voices at that point. And I'm very, I feel very lucky that the male mentors that I've had in my life have been outright staunch female supporters from day one. And to your credit, mentioning the NBA, Bob Rathbun with the Hawks has been like an uncle to me. I mean, he's the reason I'm in baseball because when he met me in college, he said, you're a baseball person. And I think this needs to be your sport. And I took that to heart. Um, so I don't, it just, it's just a matter of time of going forward and, you can't really dwell on why did it take so long? You just have to really zoom in on, okay, let's, let's keep the momentum going and let's, let's move forward from here. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. All right, so let's talk about this the, the game that you called. Uh, you, you are a quality uh, play-by-play broadcaster. Uh, that's my gender gender neutral take on you. As I do with women or men, you just you call a good game. Um, um, and I listened to to that game. And one, obviously, I think it's excellent that um, you know that that it existed in terms of the historic nature of it. And I'll mention your analyst was Sarah Langs. Uh, reporters were Alana Rizzo. Uh, pre-game hosts were Lauren Gardner and, he- and Heidi Watney. All of those women are known uh, for their excellent work in baseball circles. And the fact that it existed is good. But I think you would agree with this, Melanie. Like, what you don't want it to be is sort of some si- some kind of, like, you know, one-off where it's sort of like, okay, here's, like, we do this, like, once a year or we do this, like, once every couple of, of months. And, and, you know, this is sort of like this attraction kind of thing as opposed to something that's regular. So as we head forward... Um, have you gotten any indication as to, um, as to what your play by play by play schedule will be heading forward and whether you think, um, and you would know more than me, are those women that are in the minors right now that you talked about, what are their prospects of, of eventually moving up to the majors and either getting play by play, um, 
opportunities either on the radio or television side? To speak to the women that are in the minors right now, they're incredible. Um, they really blow me away with their talent and their skill. And in fact, uh, Emma Tiedemann, who's now with the AA Portland Sea Dogs, a Boston affiliate, um, I was actually planning to move from the Salem Red Sox to Portland before I got the call for Baltimore. And I immediately jumped forward and said, if you have not interviewed people yet, Emma Tiedemann has to have this job, period. Um, just because she's, she's so good and she's so built for it. And of course, you know, coming up in a family of baseball broadcasters, she grew up around the game and she loves it just as much, if not more than I do. And you've got Jill Guerin out in Visalia with the rawhide and she interned with Boston, um, which is kind of funny that the three of us interconnect here in a way, but, um, just another woman who really gets it. She brings in that love of the game. She understands the mechanics too, from that softball background. Um, probably a little more than even I could. And, and just, she has the grind. She understands what the players and the staff need of her to bring forward. And um, she just wants to bring the best out of everybody. And Emily Messina actually took over for Kirsten Carbach with the Phillies double A affiliate in Reading. Um, so this is her first full year getting back into things after the shutdown. And I met her as an intern in Lynchburg and she was doing a little bit of anything they needed for their media department. Um, but if it meant she even got to be in a booth for an inning, she was there. And, and I called her at one point because I needed a fill-in for a Salem game. And she she didn't care what it took. She wanted to be there and she wanted to hop aboard and, and didn't care who her partner on air would be that day. She was willing to make it work. And um, I just have the utmost respect for them because the the minor leagues are a different beast. I mean, it's it's it doesn't let up. It's a bus ride every day. It's not the best accommodations. Um, but it's a very intimate love for the game. And, and that's what keeps drawing you back despite the pay, despite the not great food. Um, it's very much along the lines of the players and you, you keep coming back because you love it. And that's what you're built to do. I expect all three of them um, to make major league debuts at some point. And I can't overlook either in Lynchburg, Mara Sheridan. Um, she's the lead this year for the Hillcats affiliate. <clears throat> And she came up through Fayetteville. Um, she does every sport, first of all. So I don't even think she's going to be somebody who makes just an impact in baseball. She's, she's going to be covering everything. I mean, she's in basketball, volleyball, you name it. She's all over it. She, she doesn't have an off season. Um, and it's, it's really cool to see all of those women pushing forward and making that move. But no, this isn't a novelty. Um, this isn't a sideshow act. And, and that's what I think I appreciated the most was when they gave me the list of who would be joining me prospectively for that Orioles Rays game. They didn't say, Oh, here's your all female cast. They just said, Hey, this is the talent we're looking at. You know, is there someone you'd like to see on this list? And I was kind of left to draw the dots on my own. Um, <clears throat> we have a really good relationship. And I think the Orioles championing that first and foremost, um, opening up this season, I've I've got 90 games of radio play-by-play, -play, and then I've got about 50 that are television pre-posted sidelines. So they've already made it a normalcy. And Major League Baseball, um, their network, uh, I get along with that crew very, very well, if I could even speak for them right now. And we've already had those open discussions about all of us can't wait to have another game, to figure out what, what's next on the docket. And Susan Waldman said it best about that game. She said, it's great, but ask me about it in a year. And let's see where it's gone since then. Do you, um, is there anything definitive yet as to when like the five of you will work together or, you know, parts of the five of you will, will work together in, in some kind of national, uh, form? 
Yeah. So there's nothing definitive yet. Um, just because that's so many different moving pieces, especially I think in a world that's still trying to navigate uh, COVID protocols and, you know, who can do what and beware. Um, but Sarah Langs is somebody who I openly invite onto the mass and pregame show a lot. Um, anytime I get to have a pick of who's coming on as a guest to contribute, it's Sarah Langs. She just, she brings something else that's really tangible about all these advanced analytics and that's her passion um, really shines through there. And of course, you know, with Heidi and Lauren and Alana, they all have national platforms right now. So there, I can't even imagine their schedules, but we all, we have a group text now and we've all really openly discussed how much we can't wait to work together again and, and hopefully for it, for all of us to be in person. That's very cool. I know you get sort of asked uh, these forms of questions and you sort of mentioned representation earlier in this conversation. And like one of the things that um, like anytime you, um, I've spoken to a broadcaster, let's say under 35, um, they'll, they'll cite somebody who like they saw on television or listened to on radio and like they, they it reflected that they believed that they could do it when it, when it comes to people of color in particular, and obviously less representation, like I've talked to black women who, uh, who are in broadcasting who have said, you know, I saw Pam Oliver on air. And like that made me believe that that I could that I could do this. Pam, I'm not sure Pam Oliver saw somebody on air. So somebody has to be a pioneer in some ways. You are obviously chronologically very, very young. But I do wonder even at your young age, like are you thinking about at all, like um when you're doing this stuff, like that there may be a fifteen year old or a twelve year old girl who will listen to you doing play by play? And all of a sudden thinks like, I could also do play-by-play. Like, I don't have to go on the sideline or I don't have to do this. Like, I'm a baseball nerd who just loves to talk about baseball all the time. And I wonder if, like, if that is ever subconsciously you're thinking about that or, and I would understand if it's not, you know, you're 30 years old, you're at the beginning of your career, and you got to focus on that. But the reality is, like, for you are going to be this person, I think, for a lot of young people, the way someone like, you know, a Pam Oliver was, um, you know, for somebody who's now been in the business and is your age? You know, I, I started you know, however many years ago at this point, and I still remember having little girls come up. And of course, being an on-field host, I was a little more accessible, but just, you know, oh, like we can't wait to work in baseball too. And, and those moments grab your heart because you just, you want them to love the game as much as you do. You want everybody to love the game as much as you do. It doesn't matter race, gender, anything. Um, but then as we started moving up and I think it was really when, again, the news hit in 2018 about the scarcity, but the growing rate of women who are involved in the sport. I was in Frisco at the time, um, again, a multi-role as far as broadcasting was concerned, but I started having parents and little girls reach out and they had been, you know, they either saw us on a Fox sports broadcast or they tuned in on the radio or they were at a game and saw me up in the booth. And the questions that came from that of, you know, Oh, is that a girl? And, and what is she doing? And can I do that? And, and the encouragement from parents and that opening of a door that, that just hadn't existed. Um, you know, and it, it just started to pick up from there as far as the weight of, what this can really do. And, and so truly over the last year in itself, as more of that has come in and, and more letters from parents. And um, I, I met this little girl Gwen in 2019 and she wrote this handmade card and 
um, you, you keep it in the back of your head that especially for a game like Tuesday and the attention that it had and the gravity of it being a first and it, you just think, you know, if I mess this up, if I get a call wrong, um, yeah, I say somebody's name wrong. I, I do something I shouldn't have it's automatically going to put everybody out there who's a decision maker with a strike against other women who are coming behind me for these jobs. And it's not fair. And, and, you know, that's not on them that I make a mistake. And I'm really lucky. I have a really good inner circle that just keeps reminding me how much time I've put into this and, and, you know, the repetitions and the preparation and that it's, it's not going to be that black and white of if I make one little mistake, because men make mistakes all the time, but ours are magnified a lot more. Um, so it's there, it, it weighs a lot that, you know, I, I have to be on pretty much all the time to protect the future of other women in this game. But I also realized too, the women who are coming behind me. And again, as I mentioned with all the minor league broadcasters, uh, they are so far above and beyond better than I ever was at that stage and at that age. And um, they're going to make it a point where they can't be ignored regardless of what I do at the end of the day. That's a good answer. It's a lot of pressure on you though. Um, all right. Before we, uh, before we finish up, uh, you know, and as much as I appreciate you discussing your broadcasting career, let us talk about how annoying the Boston Red Sox <laughs> and, 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 and Tampa Bay Rays are in terms of the American <laughs> leaders. Um, so, you know, living in Toronto, it's a very, very exciting young team um, with like an unbelievable offense. They obviously still need pitching. You're in Baltimore, obviously, so tough year for the O's, but you see these teams. Um, and so I wanted to ask you this, you know, obviously you're not, you don't own the Orioles, but I think you can give an interesting answer that sort of reflects being an Orioles fan. And I have sort of feel this a little bit in Toronto. Um what what is it like to be in a division where you know that the Yankees will always be the superpower who spends? The Rays are just so efficient when it comes to drafting and and development. And then you have the Red Sox who, you know, were sort of have now returned from a down year, um, who look to be far better than um, any other team. And we haven't even talked about, you know, how much the Red Sox can spend. I wonder, you know, a lot, a lot of times if you're in a city – in the AL East, like I am in Toronto, which is not a small market team per se, but you know what I mean? You're like, oh man, like I wish we were in the central because like, it feels like we, you know, maybe we'd win that division every year. What is it like in sort of Oriole land to have to know that you got, you know, four teams above you with all these resources and all these finances and quite frankly, likely we'll have that for a long time. Yeah. Well, I mean, first of all, you look at the Rays payroll and it's not too far off from the Orioles yeah. and the way they're that the one, they're the outlier. Yeah. Like, the way that Mike Elias is building this club is very similar in the fact that they're going to have talent from within. Um, and that's really going to be position player heavy. They've got a couple really good aces that are coming up through the minors right now. But I think apart from bringing up the Grayson Rodriguez and DL halls and Mike Bauman's, um, they're not going to be afraid to trade some of these huge prospects they're building to get those viable major league ready arms as well to start competing. So I think the Orioles are on the right track and it's really encouraging. And, you know, there's those days where you, yeah, you do look at the central and you go, man, like we could, we could be somewhere if we were there, but I will add this too. I really love being in a system where your back is against the wall 24 seven to be the best because nothing is taken for granted when you're in the AL East, you have to earn every single one 
of those 162. And you mentioned the Yankees and yeah, they're spending, but look at how they're floundering this year. And this was something I had discussed even before the season started. I said, man, I just don't think it's there. And, and so far it hasn't been. And this is what I keep reminding Orioles fans when we're on air is look, you can spend all you want, but if you do that, all you do is that top surface talent. You have nothing beneath that. And so all you're doing is spending more money, taking the risk on somebody at the big league level versus you look at the Rays, they're good at the big league level. They're even better at AAA right now. And they're doing it at a lower cost because they've taken that painstaking time to really build themselves up. And that's the model that I think is the most sustainable. I call it like Nick Saban-esque at that point that you just keep regenerating yourself. And yeah, the Red Sox, that's a surprise. I, I mean, and, and I just think that is so much Alex Cora magic that it's not even funny. But I'm interested too, They've had so much discussion about bringing their payroll down, and then they bring in Kyle Bloom from the Rays, and that's what he's known for. Um, curious to see how they take a step back when it comes to spending, or if they just say, you know, well, we were initially going to be a tight budget, but now that we're in the push, we're going to go out and get somebody big. And of course, Chris Sale completely changes that game. And um, I, and to your point with Toronto, you know, they're they're kind of right in that mix of everybody else. I really find that now the Yankees are that just that one outlier. And it's almost this glaring example now of, yeah, spend all the money you want, but that's on paper. That guarantees nothing at the end of the day if something's not working. Um, so I'm excited. And I think it's going to get really interesting, especially in the next three years or so, to see the Orioles and Jays in particular, and then the Orioles and Rays, because I think those three teams are just going to have an absolute bash with each other. Yeah, I'm interested too. Um, and you're right, the Yankees. It'll be a, it'll be interesting to see if they can maybe outspend um, some of their deficiencies. Shout out to Spider Tech, by the way, for taking a little <laughs> bit of the Yankees away this year. Um, Melanie Newman is a broadcaster uh, with the Baltimore Orioles and the Masson Network. Um, you probably, if you're a baseball fan. You probably read about or watched the all-female announcing crew where she was the play-by-play broadcaster, along with Sarah Langs uh, and reporter Alana Rizzo, and then pre- and post-game hosts Lauren Gardner and Heidi Watney. Uh, Melanie, thank you so much for uh, coming on today, um, sharing your story and experiences. And it's going to be great to uh, just continue to follow your career as you continue to call more games and... Uh, and as you continue to make your voice heard. Thanks so much today for joining me on the Sports Media Podcast. No, thanks for having me. All right, back in the studio. My thanks to Chad Finn and Melanie Newman for their time and their conversation. If you like these kind of podcasts, go to the Sports Media with Richard Deitch homepage uh, on Apple or Stitcher Play. Leave us a five-star review and a nice note. That's how this podcast continues. Prior to this podcast, we did uh, two uh, long forms on the Maria Taylor uh, Rachel Nichols' uh, story um, situation and ESPN. Jamel Hill was my guest on the latest podcast. Uh, and Kavitha Davidson and Jane McManus uh, did a podcast with them prior to the one with Jamel Hill. Before Kavitha and Jane, Mike Golick, who uh, went very long and deep and very honest about his time at ESPN and, and how that uh, time came to an end. Before that, Michael Kay. John Wertheim, Ian Dark of ESPN. Head through the archives. Hopefully you'll find something you like. I want to thank Patrick Antonetti for his work 
as always on this podcast. Thank you to everybody at Caves 13. And most importantly, thank you for listening. We will see you soon on the Sports Media Podcast.